Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, and this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to look, to live and think for yourself, not convert you. There's been a lot happening in my world. I had planned on doing a show um, Christmas weekend, right, during, during that Sunday. And something happened, and I had to deal with that on New Year's weekend. I think I was still coming down and recuperating from all that other madness that I had to deal with. So I am here today, and there are a number of things that I want to talk about and tackle. First of all, Happy New Year to everybody. Let's let's start with that. And in addition to that, 2017 was a bitch. 2017 was a horrible year for many of us. You know, I've had conversations with a number of people and, you know, we were all, our heads were in our hands about 2017 because it was like one thing after the other, one thing after the other. And, you know, I had some, you know, drastic things happening in my world. You know, I think I told you all about a couple of deaths and near deaths, and that doesn't even cover, you know, half of what I had to deal with last year. So it, it was interesting. It's been okay. You know, we're back up, we're running, dealing with some other issues, but all of that seems to be under control now. And, you know, just trying to move forward. So I just wanted you guys to know that I was thinking about you, trying to get things situated. You know, sometimes you have to reorganize things in your life and able to be able to move forward. But sometimes enable to, you know, enable to, how can I put this? Sometimes in life. When you want and you need to move forward, there are some things and people that you have to leave behind. And that's just how it goes. You know, uh, there are some people that you have to factor out of your plans. And unfortunately, you know, what happens with some people is they get angry behind that. And how dare you not, you know, include them in whatever plans they think that you may be putting together, when in all actuality you're not necessarily putting together any type of specific plan. The only plan you're trying to put together is how am I going to breathe? You know, how am I going to make this next step? You know, how am I going to feed myself? How am I going to help those that I know need a little bit more than I do? And so it's just it's really interesting when you start looking into the psyche of human beings, and the number one example of that is what we see going on with the Trump and Bannon thing, and we'll get to that a little bit later, but I just wanted to let you guys know that you were on my mind, and um, it's been some really interesting things happening on my end. Um, not quite sure, you know, how to categorize it or, or even if I want to talk about it. So because I'm not quite sure, I'm going to let that go, and I'm going to move forward, but um, you know, there were a couple of things that I wanted to definitely acknowledge today. So today is Zora Neale Hurston's birthday. Yay! Happy birthday, Zora! So those of you who are not familiar with her, 
go back, read up some of her information. You know, you could read her book. Um, is is you know what I find interesting is basically black women then as well as black women now. You know the struggle, right? And not much has changed. The only thing that really has changed are the names. And so what's interesting is, you know, I've talked about these issues before, and um, I don't know, you know, I don't know. Just trying to figure out what's happening, why it's happening, just go and read some of her works. I mean, the most famous one is Their Eyes That Were Watching God, right? And Toni Morrison, you know, went and found Zora's gravesite and put a headstone on her grave because no one knew where it was for a while, just a number of things. But go back and read up on Zora Neale Hurston, and, you know, you may be interested if you look for – well, I won't even go there, but um, go and read up on her. You know, because what's so interesting is that, you know, black women were still here, we're still struggling within our community, outside of our community. We're still expected to carry the load, save the day, plan the party, throw the party, be the hostess and the cleanup crew. So the question is, when can we get a damn break? Can we get a damn break? Come on. And so when you sit back and I sit back and I watch and I see things and, and, it's just, it's a lot. And there are times when I have to kind of pull myself back because there are some things I want to say about a lot of things. But no matter how I state it, you're always going to have people that will misconstrue what you're saying or they'll twist it to mean what they want it to mean because these are things that they had running around in their mind, so they don't necessarily want it attributed to them. So they find someone else to project that bullshit on. And so it's just, you know, I'm just looking at all of that. Um, I definitely want to acknowledge Erica Garner, and she passed away. And for those who aren't familiar, she was Eric Garner's daughter. Eric Garner was the black man in New York City who was choked to death by a New York police officer using an illegal chokehold method. And this police officer has gone on. He's making over six figures a year. He's still a police officer. Um, The young man that videotaped the encounter, he's been put in jail. He's been punished. You know, Eric is gone, and now his daughter is gone. And so, you know, I wanted to acknowledge that because she was an activist, organizer, and there have been some conflicts out here regarding some of her alleged ideology in regards to phobic, you know, homophobic and transphobic language and behavior. And so, you know, we've been trying to do some research and figure out what actually happened with that there. But at the same time, you know, I feel that we need to acknowledge the contribution that she made to the community as a whole because she did not take her father's murder lying down. She got out of here, and she protested, and she spoke, and she put herself and her life on the line. 
And so it's important that we acknowledge that. But in regards to, you know, transphobic and homophobic behavior, I'm not going to cover that up. I'm not going to gloss over it. I mean, regardless of who's doing it, it's wrong. And so I just feel as though um, there's a deeper conversation that needs to be had, and I hope that we take this opportunity to open up the conversation because we've seen this happening, and we want to make sure that there are safe spaces for everyone, that everyone is able to allow, able to speak their truth. And in some of these cases, I've seen people use language that was very homophobic or transphobic, but once corrected, they corrected themselves or they went out and did some research and educated themselves, and they became allies. And if they, if they didn't become an ally, they just kept their mouths shut about things mm-hmm. that they did not understand. And that's generally the problem with most people is most people rail against things that they do not necessarily understand, which is why you hear us talking about xenophobia amongst a number of other things. But I think it's important for us to get out here and, you know, try to support each other as much as we can. And when there is a problem, confront it, deal with it, and then move on. Because someone who is truly and genuinely trying to grow, they'll accept the, you know, the constructive criticism and they'll try to learn and grow from that. Otherwise, I mean, they're going to continue on with their behavior. And instead of sitting there and continuing to have the same conversations over and over with someone who's not willing to learn, there comes a time when you have to cut loose, you know, and keep it moving. So, again, I wanted to acknowledge Erica Garner and, and you know, her life, and I also wanted to address the white folks out here that are upset because Erica's family would only speak with black journalists. And so you're out here, all your white tears and your white fragility and all up in your feelings, not understanding why white journalists weren't welcome to interview the family in regards to Erica's death. And, you know, just go and do some research and read up on the hostile relationship that the black community has had with the white press. And so there is a reason why. You know, they wanted a specific, well, not a specific, but yeah, a specific black reporter to tell her story, to tell Erica's story. And that's the thing. Some of you out here are so angry and upset and uncomfortable that that family specified what type of journalist they wanted to speak with. I don't You didn't cover her when she was alive. And so this is the thing, you know, especially with this pinky in the brain administration, they came down hard on the media regarding their acknowledgement of these protests and activists out here and the activity, and it pretty much went away. It was like a media blackout. But now that she passed away, all of a sudden you want to cover her death and cover you know, her activism in a very slanted way, but you're angry because her family will only speak with black journalists. 
I don't understand. You know, you seem to be extremely angry and uncomfortable with that. I don't understand. You get to interview everybody else. You know, so I just need for you to take a few minutes and introspect and ask yourself why you are so upset, angry, and uncomfortable with being told to sit to the side and allow a black journalist cover a black woman and her black family in their time of grief. You need to do some introspection. And for those of you that are out here and, you know, coming with, you know, these white tears, well, we don't understand. We were allies. We supported her. You supported her as long as she did what you wanted her to do. And what's, what's, you know, interesting is, you know, a few minutes ago I was talking about change. Change is uncomfortable. Change is inevitable. And change is a constant. Things will always change. That's never going to stop. And this is the reason why when I talk to black and brown people, about what we're facing in this country as well as globally. You know, we can't just say in America, this is a global issue. You know, the imperialism, the fascism, white supremacy, you know, white national, this is global. This is not just happening in America. And so we keep going through, see, we've been studied. And so, you know, they understand how our brain works and basically you know, many of the techniques that we use is the same techniques being used over and over again. And with time, the results from those particular techniques, you know, they wane. And we get no results or very little results. And that's not to say that we shouldn't be out here protesting. But what I'm saying is, you know, we need to develop other methods of protest and activism and and we have been doing that, which is why I brought to everybody's attention about the net neutrality. Now, I'm going to get to that a little bit later, but that's important for you to have on your mind and to think about because with a lot of these activists and organizers, a lot of this has been done on social media. And with net neutrality, they'll be able to neutralize and nullify quite a few different platforms and vehicles that are being utilized by activists and organizers. And I need for you to understand that. And so, um, you know, some days I just sit here and I say to myself, what the hell are we doing? Where are we going? What are we trying to do? The people in Puerto Rico, they still don't have any, any any damn electricity. Very few. You know, it's it's I don't know. You know, for those of you that have been haven't been keeping up, I mean, they see Puerto Rico as a colony. And what's going to happen is they're trying to push the people off the island. You know, quite a few of the people off the island and they want to buy it. Well, not buy because they're, they're taking it. They're not buying a damn thing. Basically, wealthy white people want to be able to take over that island and turn it into a major tourist um, tourist destination. And 
I'm just sitting here and I'm looking at it. And what they're doing, they're doing it on purpose. And I need for you to understand that. And, you know, another example is, and, you know, I'm reaching with this one, but Princess Michael, when she wore that old racist-ass medal to the Prince, um, Prince Harry's dinner with his bride-to-be, and she gave a quote, not then, but, you know, not long ago, basically telling people, you know, to go back to their colonies or, you know, referencing colonies. And that's how a lot of these, you know, wealthy white people think, especially when you're talking about the political elite and their mindset. And, you know, what's interesting is with this pinky in the brain administration, they are living, breathing, talking examples of that particular mindset. They said they were coming to drain the swamp. And working class and poor whites and even some wealthy whites, let's not leave them out of this because they were part of this as well and they were clapping. But the only people that are still clapping are the wealthy whites in the corporate interest, the lobbyists, because they're the ones that are benefiting from it. You know, maybe one of you all should have asked Donald Trump what he meant by swamp. He implied Washington, D.C., and in some cases he stated that, but that's not what he meant. The guy is a pathological liar, and you voted for him. And so, you know, I'm seeing a lot more activity with people challenging and critiquing white evangelicals and the role that they played in this. And we've been telling, you know, talking for years, even before I was born, you know, there were people out here talking about the white church, white evangelicals, white Southern Baptists, all of them folks, and white supremacy and the role it played in you know, segregation and racism and white supremacy in this country. And I'm going to say this, and this is this is true. Some of you black and brown neoliberals out there, some of you black and brown neoliberals out there, you're actually worse than the most racist white conservative that I've ever met. And what's interesting is, you don't even recognize it. Now, that's not all of you. This is quite a few of you. And so you need to, I think you need to go back to square one and start over because, you know, I've had the opportunity to participate in a number of different communities and, you know, see how things operated and, who's who and what's what, and what I will say is you have a lot of great people out here doing a lot of great work. Their hearts are in the right place, and they're actually out here doing it. But you still have that select few who are nothing but self-serving opportunists in all of these communities. And when you call attention to it, then you're vilified and demonized, and it's just so it's just so many different directions 
I can go with this. But you know who you are. You're the one sitting over there offended right now. And so, you know, when I look at what's happening, not only in America but globally, and you have a number of people specifically pointing the finger at Donald Trump and trying to state that Donald Trump is the problem. And he's causing all of these issues all over the world, you know, globally. When that is not necessarily true, Donald Trump is a factor in this very complicated world that we're living in right now. It's a very complicated equation, a very complicated world. And Donald Trump is just one person or one factor into this equation, you know, and you really need to look at the broader picture and see what's happening because, see, some of the more insidious, threatening characters, you don't know who they are. You don't know their names. You don't know what they do. You have no idea that they exist. Those are the people that have the real fucking power. And the truth of the matter is some of them, you know, to a certain degree, crack their whip and Trump jumps. But see, the difference between Donald Trump and, let's say, Mitt Romney is Donald Trump had no problem spending his own money to win the election. And so while he is somewhat contained and controlled, He is not as contained and controlled as many of these other politicians that are out here that are taking the lobbyist money that are beholden to these corporations and election dollars and all of that. You know, you need to take a look at all of it. And while Trump has taken some corporate and lobbyist money, it's the Republicans that have the most to lose. They have absolutely the most to lose, which is why they heralded this scam bill that they just passed because it made their donors happy. And I just simplified a very complicated situation, but, again, you know, I want you guys to go out and do some reading and some research. Um, There is an article out here that I think they published it last year, and it was in the Washington Post. And it's talking about how white supremacy went global. And this was published September 19, 2017. So the title of the article is How White Supremacy Went Global, The Century-Long Effort to Unite Whites Worldwide. And this was written by R. Joseph Parrott, right? So go and read that. I may hit on a few parts of it um, during the latter part of the show, but it specifically talks about Breitbart and Bannon and their quest to go global. And, you know, I still have to teehee and holler about this this book, Fire and Fury, and what has taken place over the past few days with Fire and Fury and, you know, everything that has happened since then. So, yeah, go out, take a look at that. And, oh, yeah, so I'm going to just move on from that because I'm going to come back and visit it a little bit later. But for those of you who aren't aware, Charlottesville, Virginia, you know, where they had the three protests, they just elected a black woman as mayor of Charlottesville. So I found that quite interesting. 
So, you know, again, the year of the woman, 2017, 2018, again, I encourage anybody who wants to run for office, go for it. You know, in this case, what do you have to lose? You know, but it's the year of the black woman, the year of the woman. I mean, just go out there. Give it a try. You know, what the hell is it going to hurt? You know, get some people behind you, get out there, knock on some doors, make some change, do some great things in your community. You know, we've tried all these other methods, and they haven't worked. And so for anyone who's familiar with me and familiar with my show, you know and you understand that I am an independent, right? I'm not a Democrat, nor am I a Republican, nor am I part of the Green Party. I'm not with the LaRouche folks, none of them, just independent, and I find fault with all of them. And there are reasons why, and most of the time I give my reasons why. However, you have people out here, and see, this is the thing, black and brown people, and, you know, red and yellow, too. And even with some of you poor whites, this is what I need for you to understand. You keep, you know, what you see with these politicians, they'll say, oh, well, we can reform within the party. They're redeeming, you know, characteristics and redeeming characters and redeeming this and, you know, modified that or improved A, B, C, D, and E. Just stick with us over here with the Democrats or stick with us over here as the Republicans. We don't want any real challenging third party. It's not going to work. And, again, we go throw those Jedi mind tricks. And they convince you that a third-party candidate can't win and that a third party will never rise in this country. Don't believe that. It can't happen. And so what they're doing is, again, with the Jedi mind tricks, again, selling you false hope that they can redeem their party, that they're reforming from the inside, that they're making the changes needed in in their, quote-unquote, efforts to be inclusive and diverse. And we all know how I feel about, you know, the word diversity. It's just basically giving people a chance to reshuffle their biases. Just shuffle it around a little bit, you know, a little random. You know, we're all we'll all be surprised what pops up next, right? And so that is some of what we've been seeing out here. But black, brown, red, yellow and some of you whites, not necessarily just poor whites. You know, I point at poor whites quite a bit because, you know, one of the narratives or tropes that are out here is talking about working class and poor whites voting against their own interests. And so what's been interesting is I've been seeing a lot of conversations specifically about W.E.B. Du Bois. And, you know, I speak about him often. And, you know, he talks about, poor and working class whites voting against their interests. And, you know, there's a lot of exciting writing behind that. And I want you to go out and do some reading to see it for yourself. But one of the interesting um, arguments that I've seen online most recently regarding W.E.B. Du Bois is whether or not he should be categorized as a sociologist or a historian. He was a sociologist which is why when I see people uh, in making references to him as a historian, 
you know, I just kind of smile because that just tells me they haven't really read a lot of his work. And, but I mean, it's easy to get some of that mixed up, but let's just try to do better. Let's just try to do better um, in that regards. But W.E.B. Du Bois wrote a lot about that, you know, about the working, white working class voting against their own interests and the role that played in white supremacy in this country. So I'm going to get back to that because that's not where I was trying to go with this, but, you know, going back to the different groups of people, if Donald Trump hasn't done anything, Donald Trump has proven that we kind of need each other and that it will be conducive to us to all work together. However, that is not how it always works out because, again, even before we had, the, you know, Doug Jones win the senator seat in Alabama, I was very opinionated about black people voting for him. And my opinion, you know, and I'm stated again for the record, you know, you have people out here stating that we should have voted for Doug Jones because he prosecuted, you know, the the white supremacists that bombed that church with those black babies. And my whole stance has been, shouldn't he have done that anyway because that was his job? And so, you know, it's just really interesting when people try to play certain arguments with us and then sit back and don't understand when we go off. And Doug Jones, on his very first press conference the day after he won, he was stating that sometimes he would vote with the Republicans and, and you know, and then all of a sudden it went from the narrative of black people, specifically black women, again, yet again, saving the day and being the catalyst to elect Doug Jones, then it went to all of us, or then it went to black community, then all of us, or we won. You know, and so, <laughs> I mean, this is this is the play. And they've been playing that card over and over and over again. And it will not change because they're hoping that you have a short memory and that you don't remember these things. And it always comes back to slap us in our face. You know, so it's interesting. So anyway, I'm going to go back to Charlottesville. You know, um, Donald Trump, you know, was saying basically he was still floating on the high from the tax scam bill that was passed. And he was saying he doesn't understand why people won't throw him a parade. Well, they had at least three parades for you in Charlottesville, and they had parades for you in Tennessee and all over this damn country. How many fucking parades do you want, man? But what's so interesting about Charlottesville, again, they they elected a black woman mayor. And there's an article here. Where is this? This is The Hill. And the name of the article, Charlottesville Selects First Black Female Mayor, and it's written by Josh Delk. And I want to definitely say her name, right? And I may get it wrong, forgive me, but I think it's Nakuya Walker. Nakuya, Nakuya 
Walker. So, again, she won. And it's just amazing because even before she won the mayoral um, election, she was an independent. And she was the first independent to sit on the city council since 1948. So, you know, again, she was very critical of the city and their responses, in the city's response. Now, in this article, it says specifically to the August rally. But you got to remember there was a rally before August and there was another rally after August. So pay attention to that, you know. And, yeah. Yeah, pay attention to what's happening. And from my understanding, they plan on going back to Charlottesville. And I'm pretty sure they're going to try to go back with a mission, a real mission, now that they've elected a black woman as mayor. So, you know, I have to find her on Twitter and follow her on Twitter just to see what's going on in that area of the country, or specifically Charlottesville because of, you know, the controversy and the parades, you know, given and, and parades in honor of Bannon and Trump, you know, Charlottesville will forever be tethered to that white supremacist narrative coming from the alt-right and the libertarians and people of that particular persuasion. So... Again, you know, congratulations to Miss Walker and her win. So, again, say her name. Go out there and talk about that. And so, you know, today's show, you know, talking about white folks' burdens, right? And so what I wrote, you know, because I just decided to do this show. I knew I was going to do it yesterday, but I didn't feel like writing it up. So in the show notes here I wrote, Trump administration is just a living, walking, talking example of white male privilege and identity. White feminists have shown us, once again, that their identification is centered on their whiteness. How many times does this have to happen before black and brown people walk away from the deception and madness? 2017 was a glaring example of white supremacy and white nationalism in America, This crisis has been happening globally, but unfortunately you have Americans who ignore all of the warning signs. And I'm going to talk about this and more, and I've already started going into um, a little bit about this. And so, yeah, the title of the show is White Folks' Burdens. And so this was kind of a play off of the poem written by Rudyard Kipling, and the name of his play was White Man's Burden, right? So... What's interesting about Rudyard Kipling is when I was in the sixth grade, my teacher, my favorite teacher ever, um, bought me a present, and it was the book Kim by Rudyard Kipling. So that was the very first adult book someone purchased for me to read. And she had me write an essay on it, you know, because even before then I was reading Shakespeare and Steinbeck and all of that, and these were books that I would pick up when my family, when my mom would take me to a thrift store. So she knew I would always be over there with the books and the board games. That was my thing right there. But, um, you know, this was the first adult book 
somebody outside of my family for me to read. And so, you know, I just thought that was interesting. But um, the play written by, not the play, the poem written by Rudyard Kipling is titled White Man's Burden, right? So some of the history behind that is Rudyard Kipling was British, and he was friends with Theodore Roosevelt, and Theodore Roosevelt had just won the governorship in New York, right? And so Rudyard Kipling wrote that and sent it to Theodore Roosevelt, um, you know, to encourage, you know, him and the American government to take over the Philippines, okay? So during that time, we had the Spanish-American War that was going on. And at first, it seems as though America was a little adverse to taking on colonies, taking captured land. But the Philippines apparently was you know, prized and treasured. And so basically when Rutger Kipling wrote that, basically he was encouraging America to take over the Philippines and to basically rule it with an iron fist like they should with all of their colonies per this white supremacist mindset, right? And so, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it shows the mindset of the British and their white supremacy over there and how they viewed their colonies, you know, because you got to remember, you know, a lot of these white Anglo-Saxon Protestant countries, you know, were had colonies all over the place. I mean, France had Haiti, and Haiti is still paying for that to this day. They are still paying for taking their independence from France. And that's why Haiti is so poor. And so, you know, you had Haiti and you had India and you had Africa, and they had colonies all over the place. Go back and read the history and understand, you know, how they viewed non-white people and non-white countries. And they feel as though it was their manifest destiny to rule over, contain, and control these people then and now. And for you to understand what's happening now, you have to go back and look and read and understand what's happening then because it's the same play. It's the same shit, just different names and a different year, but it's the same bullshit. So you need to understand it. For those of you who have been keeping up, I find it quite interesting. You all need to go and see what's been happening in the Philippines recently, especially in regards to ISIS and the wars they've had over there, particularly Malawi, and ISIS gaining control and how the Philippines and America are engaged in propaganda wars in the media stating that everything is under control. You know, and that kind of ties into with, you know, Trump and his stating that they've overcome a caliphate and how they have gotten ISIS under control taking credit for North and South Korea opening dialogues, you know, with each other, stating that his firm hand, his firm language, his firm stance made that happen. He's delusional. And for those of you who are out here agreeing with him, you're just as delusional. And so, you know, I'm just sitting here and I'm looking at all of this. And, again, the only reason why I didn't say white man's burden is because white women are just, as culpable, which is why we won't let go of the fact that 53% of white women voted for Donald Trump. That's going nowhere. 
And even with the Women's March and the success and the magnitude of the success of that march, it's important. Don't get me wrong. That's extremely important, just like with the Me Too movement, which was, you know, started by a black woman, you know, and now you have all of these white people like Alyssa Milano and others trying to take credit for the Me Too movement. I mean, we've seen this over and over. You know, you've seen white people, you know, um, attempting to usurp, if you will, the social justice movement and also the resistance movement. And we've seen a lot of white people, again, trying to make a name for themselves, trying to capitalize off of these things. And it happens over and over and over. And when we protest, then we're called divisive. And so there's a lot more that goes into that. So anyway, Rudyard Kipling and these white Anglo-Saxon Protestants' mindset of how to contain and rule over non-white populations, again, it's like their manifest destiny to control everything and everyone. So basically, this this particular poem was was inspired by you know white supremacy and white rule and white domination you know over non-white populations and so i just kind of wanted you all to go and do some reading on that to get a better understanding as to what it meant then and what it continues to mean now you know and so again it goes back to you know, white supremacy, about superiority, about imperialism, all of these things, you know, and, 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 and oof. you know, so many things going through my mind, through my head. And, you know, sometimes it's like I have to catch myself because I'm talking about one thing, but I'm like three different subjects away, things that I want to cover. But, you know, in specific, in specifics, um, with this here and, and with this show today, is more geared towards white people's expectation of non-white populations and what they feel that we owe them because they civilized us and saved us and they let us have all these nice things that we wouldn't have if we were still running around chucking spears in Africa. You know, what's so interesting about that is the comments that allegedly came from Trump about different people. You know, he was talking about the Africans and how, you know, when they've come to America, how they're never going to want to come back to go back to Africa to their huts And, you know, and then he talked about the Haitians alleging that they were all HIV positive. And, I mean, this is how many of them think of black people, you know, from other places. We already know what they think about black people in this country. Oh, well, throw them a banana and a peanut. They'll be happy. They'll take the scraps. And so, you know, it's important that you understand at least you know, some of the rougher edges of this mindset, you know, um, 
It's just it's amazing. And so going back to Alabama, the expectations of some whites in regards to black people, well, we need you. You know, we did this for you. And that's the mindset a lot of Democrats have with black people, as though we owe them. And the truth of the matter is a lot of the damage that has happened in the black community, especially over the last 20 years, has happened because of white Democrats and white liberals. You know, there are a bunch of dirty little secrets, you know, that have that have happened. And even back when FDR was putting together the New Deal, he had to basically give in to the Dixiecrats, also known as Democrats, who were the home of the Klan, and and basically that is where the states' rights came into play because then they were able to take the monies from the New Deal that were passed down to the states. They were able to distribute it, and they were able to administer it, and they were able to discriminate color to keep them from getting these benefits. And finally they let a few get the benefits, and even to this day, You know, if you go and you do some of the research and you read up on some of these programs and who benefit the most from it, the people who benefit the most from these so-called entitlement programs or social safety nets are white women. And they were written for that pretty much specifically, specifically white women that were married to men in the military. And so, again, the expectation of non-white populations to support you know, our own oppression to support the very people who do not view us as human beings, to support a system that is designed for our failure, for us to never have equality. I mean, look at that tax scam bill. It is only going to widen the wealth inequality gap that we have in this country. And so what's so interesting about it is there are some whites that do understand that this is going to hurt them long term. However, they still have that white privilege, and they understand it may hurt them some, but it's going to hurt non-white people even more. And so it's just, you know, I need for you guys to go and take a look because, you know, what you're seeing in this country now, again, is global. And I remember posting things about, you know, the white supremacy, the white Nazi, white nationalist parades and protests happening in Europe and Germany and Italy and a number of places. And you had people ignoring it. You had people who wanted to attack me for posting this. Well, that's over there. That doesn't matter over here. Yes, it does. And this is why some of you are falling for that nationalism, that nativism mindset that's coming into play with the pinky and the brain administration. And it's, it's imperative that you understand the implication or the consequences of that type of mindset and who is going to hurt. And so, again, you know, <laughs> you know, It is, I guess, one part of the white folks' burdens is to convince 
black people that we are beholden to white and to stoke that 400-year guilt trip that they have had us on in this country. Again, it's like they feel as though we owe them something. So, you know, you want to get a chance, go out and read that poem, White Man's Burden, read up on the history of that to understand what had happened and was still happening. You know, and what was interesting about the Philippines is during the Spanish-American War, the time when, you know, the America had taken over the Philippines, they had, you know, an independence movement going. And, <laughs> and of course, we couldn't have that happening, you know, and, and America, you know, mainstream America did not find that palatable. Black Lives Matter, independence movement, any type of black nationalist movement that is built upon destroying the system that was designed to destroy us. This is why they crush those movements. And what's interesting is, you know, what's happening now in Iran is being heralded by the Pinky and the Brain Administration and, and some white people globally, public politicians. But America and some of these other white Anglo-Saxon Protestant countries instigated the protesting in Iran. And I find it interesting that Donald Trump is sitting there saying, oh, we are watching you, Iran, and we're with you and do it when you know you sent your people over there to instigate that bullshit happening over there. Now, when I say that bullshit happening over there, you know, I believe they would have had an independence movement regardless. However, however, um, the uprising now was truly instigated by America and some other countries because, again, you know, I feel as though they're trying to push skirmishes over there in Iran, especially when we just sold Saudi Arabia a shitload of weaponry. And so it's important that you guys understand what's happening over there. And what's so funny is, you know, they have the uprising, there's some fighting, there's resistance, all of this happening, but yet Donald Trump is angry when athletes take a knee. He's angry with protesters out in the street. He's angry with the protesters, you know, that that have that do some activism online in regards to getting people together, to get getting the message out, encouraging people because you know because he can. And so they're poised for him to pull some kind of bullshit publicity stunt today at some type of football game happening in Atlanta. I think it's a college football game. So I guess he's going to pull the same stunt that, you know, that Pence pulled. So just be on the lookout for that. But, um, yeah, yeah, you know, what's interesting with Rudyard Kipling and his take on imperialism, basically in the, in the poem he calls the Filipinos half devil and half child. And so, again, imperialism, you know, paternalism or patriarchy, all of that, uh, 
you know, I would say, you know, go out, do some reading. It definitely will be to your benefit because it will help you to understand the mindset of some of these people who feel as though it is their manifest destiny, their God-given right to rule over and control and contain everything and everybody who is non-white, you know. And and what's interesting is, you know, I was talking about net neutrality. And even with the alt-writers, white supremacists, white nationalists, libertarians, and the bullshit they pulled over, the, you know, throughout this country in 2017, all of that was enabled by, guess what, social media. So they were able to put together their tribes, communicate with other people. They were able to converge upon, you know, Charlottesville and in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and a number of other places, you know, where they had these, you know, little parades for pinky in the brain. So read. Read, read, read. You know, and, and get a better understanding as to what's happening, what's expected, and how some of these white supremacist mindsets and theories and demands how it's been passed down throughout the generations. And and why, and also what's important is why is manifesting as strongly as it is now, because they've been emboldened and empowered by the pinky in the brain administration. You know, I mean, who would have guessed it? And so that's why I'm just looking at all of this, and you know, I do resent the fact that Donald Trump is the president of the United States. But the truth of the matter is, anyone who would have been a president of the United States, even if it had been Hillary, we still would have been dealing with the same old white supremacist, white nationalist, Nazi alt-right bullshit. You know, it's just that she's a little bit more, quote-unquote, polite with her racism. You know, and so I just encourage you guys. I encourage you to read. Um, I encourage you to go out here and and pay attention to what's going on. We have a caller. Let's pull the caller in. Let's see what they have to say. Hi, caller. Thanks for calling. May we ask your name and what you would like to speak about? Yes, good afternoon, ma'am. My name is David. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, the thing I wanted to ask you is, um, do you ever take the time to look at things and say, okay, you may have certain issues on certain issues in this area or in that area, but when you look at, let's say, economic policy, where you say, okay, this economic policy is clearly better for the economy than this one. And sometimes people choose, when they have the choice of, let's say, in the presidency, the choice of lesser two evils people often weigh the pros and cons, and at the end of the day, I think people can say, okay, one guy, despite his personality, his character, maybe what he stands for, you may not agree with, but his economic policies are much better than, let's say, Hillary Clinton's. And I think for a lot of people in America, we're able to do that. And I think too many people who get involved in politics, they're caught up in this whole, what this person is, what they stand for, what's their personal views, and all this stuff. 
And I think all of that is ultimately irrelevant. And what really matters is what's their policies, because it's the policies that are going to actually impact regular people like you and I. And I'm just, you know, I know that on the left, they try to get in this whole Trump is an evil person and this and that, and he may be there. But the argument should have been, well, what were the Democrats' economic plan compared to the Republican side, and which one was better for the country? And it's just it's pretty obvious. Trump had a better economic plan. And so I just don't understand why people get caught up in this whole, you know, like, I don't know, it's like a personality contest. I don't know what's going on, but I just think we have to put, put well, the focus on what matters and what actually impacts people's lives. Well, in regards to, um, you know, what you said about the personality you know, contest, in America, everything has always, for the most part, been a cult of personality. So in, in, there have been many cases in which the most qualified person should have won, but they like the other person's personality better. So that other person won. And in regards to policies, yes, you know, policies are what shapes, you know, this country, you know, the laws and all of these things. However, Again, with both candidates, whether it was Trump or Clinton, they're both white supremacists, and black and brown communities are going to suffer, you know, under each one of them. So I guess, you know, in regards to where I stand on that, you know, particular platform is I dislike both of them. They were both horrible um, nominations, and the difference between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton is, again, Hillary Clinton is more polite and demure with her racism, and Donald Trump is just out and about outright racist. That's the only difference between the two. There are no guessing games with Donald Trump. And what just happened with that tax scam deal is, again, it has um, widened, it's going to widen the the wealth inequality gap in this country. There are going to be quite a few working class and poor white people who are going to suffer, but black and brown people are going to suffer even more, especially when the majority of our wealth was stolen. Again, you know, Main Street didn't get a bailout. These hedge fund managers got a bailout. These banks got a bailout, but they stole a lot of wealth from communities of color in 2007, 2008, and all of that happened as a result of Bill Clinton and his deregulation of the mortgage industry. Now, with what's happening with Donald Trump and the Republicans, with this tax scam bill, again, it's going to be draining more money away from poor people and pushing it up towards the wealthy because we all know that trickle-down economics does not work. It's a fallacy. It has never worked. Well, and what's going it, it, to it doesn't work for people who don't under, who don't understand capitalism. That's the problem. Like I'm a business owner, right? I'm a black man. I own my own business, and this tax plan is going to benefit me tremendously, and it's going to allow me to be able but to see, grow yeah, and expand production said, and different things. But, well, but, but that's my point: thing, is it comes down said, to your interest. What you just said is about capitalism. Now, with me, I believe that capitalism, specifically racialized capitalism, is evil. I do believe in socialism, and I'm a proud black socialist. So I'm oh, just well, then that's you your problem. Then you're you're just you're you're in the wrong country. Then no. why why would no, you live I'm in not a, in the wrong country? In a so- it's not a country. problem. No, because capitalism, the way racialized capitalism has been set up in this country, is pure evil. 
and is also tethered to um, racism. You cannot have capitalism without racism, and that's just how it goes. And regardless, if you are a black business owner, I mean, congratulations to you. But, you know, how many of the people that work with you, and I'm talking about on the lower rung, the ones that may be on a production line or the ones that may be sweeping the floor, what are you doing to help them in, in, enrich their lives besides giving them grunt work with less money and they're the ones working the hardest and receiving the less amount of pay? What are you doing to help the people that work for you that are of color? Well, first, well, first and foremost, let's be clear. Number one, I actually provided them a job versus just words. That's that in itself is much more better than anything else. Is when you can actually empower somebody financially by rather than doing a handout or just talking to them, actually employing them so that they can help take care of them. So that's the number one. Number two, I also work with a lot of young guys in our city, specifically in the high schools that I used to go to, where we try to do we we target the guys that are basically on the verge of dropping out or have dropped out or are really struggling or kids that come from broken homes. And we have a mentor program with myself, some of my associates, guys I went to school with, guys that I knew from the neighborhood, that we basically work That's with them, mentor them, help them, you know, get a trade school, help them get, help them, you know, we have a financial literacy training. We do with them where we teach them about the credit system, teach them how to invest their Very money, how to, how to grow. Right. And so, and that's Very actually good. led to a lot of young men to do well. For example, I know you, one young man in particular, who just turned 24, we've been working with him since he was 16. He came from a broken home. His, uh, his mother was, you know, on drugs, and she was really struggling, and she was in and out the home. So him and his younger siblings, you know, they grew up in a real difficult situation. And so we've been working with this young man, and this young man now at the age of 24 now has just bought his third gas station, and he owns two rental properties. Now, he was able to That's do cool. that because, one, he got the necessary information. And what's even more important, because I've had young men that we've worked with that weren't able to be successful. And the difference between him and them that was really clear cut was his personal diligence and his commitment to do whatever it took to be successful. Meaning by that, when other people in his, that we were working with, because he, he, he started with an, about a group of about 15 other young guys. The majority of them, they made certain progress, but they got to a point where they weren't willing to sacrifice. What I mean by sacrifice, while they wanted to go out and party on the weekends, and blow their money and wanted to still smoke weed and get drunk and do all this, you know, stuff young people like to do. He said he wasn't going to do that. He disciplined himself. He saved his money. He started to stack it up. Instead of, instead of going out and BS and he took the time, he would sit at home and study books on business, study books on, on credit, everything. I mean, the kid was, he made that commitment to be great. And so now he's years ahead of ever, all of his other peers because of his effort. And my, my thing I try to stress to young people, especially young black men, is you have to have the right mindset because success will never be given to you. Success has to be earned, and it comes through discipline, hard work, and wisdom. And if you apply those three things, you can be successful. There's nothing and no one that's going to stop you. That's why I try to tell people, don't worry about politicians. Don't worry about none of them because none of them can stop you. If you, don't, if you always well, okay. allow them to stop you no. if you give into it. Well, see, this is the thing, you know, and I congratulate you on your mentorship program because that's needed. You know, mentorship programs are out there, and that's that's wonderful. And it seems as though that young man, you know, is a stellar example of one of the people, you know, one of the young folks that you work with. And, again, that's the route that he wanted to take, and, and that's good to hear. However, um, 
you know, capitalism, well, that wasn't where I was getting ready to go with this, but, you know, I lost my train of thought. My apologies. You can go ahead. No, I was going to say, look, because when you're in a capitalist system, right, and this is an example I use with the young guys when I talk to them, we start out in the very beginning. Because I, I try to mm-hmm. give them examples from things they can understand. Because for many of them, you know, you can't, in the beginning, we can't have an in-depth discussion about economics. They, most of them have no idea. So I give an example about this. Because many of them bring up the same objections you bring up about capitalism being unfair in this. And I, when they tell me that, I understand because it's based on the knowledge that they have. And I give an example. I say to them, many of them, let's say they play video games, like they play the game Madden. It's a football video game. And I tell them, if you, took, if you went and bought the game Madden and you went home and started playing it, but you didn't know the controls, you didn't know the rules, you didn't know any strategy to how to play the game, and you kept playing the game and you kept losing. Now, you have one of two decisions to make at that point. You can either say this game is bad, it's rigged, it's set for, up for me to fail, or you can take the time to sit down, read the manual, learn how to play the game, or maybe meet up with somebody who does know how to play the game and knows the strategies of the game and knows how to win, and you can learn how to play the game and start to win yourself. And that's what we start with okay. that initial mindset of understanding. So when it comes to capitalism, so the issue so, at hand okay. is, not, so. is, not, is not whether capitalism is fair or it's right or it's the best system. That's not what I'm concerned about. What I'm concerned with them is how can you learn how to play the game and how can you start to win the game so that you can positively impact yourself, your family, and ultimately the community. That's my focus. All right. Because that's so what we going have to back work, in life, to what you were saying yeah. there, because, I mean, you know, what you did what you, with the young man that you gave as an example, um, where I was trying to go with my original thought that I kind of lost earlier was that young man is more the exception and not the rule. And what's interesting is we get those same types of examples from other people. You know, I'm not sure if you're a libertarian, but you have some libertarian-leaning, you know, viewpoints there. And what's interesting is is that, you know, there will always be one or two that will be lifted up as an example while the majority still fail. Now, I understand what you're saying about the young man. You know, he stacked his coins, he sacrificed, he was disciplined, and he did what he felt that he needed to do to achieve whatever goals. Regarding what I said earlier about the people that work for you, and you said, well, I give them a job, that's that's enough. But, again, with some of the people that work on the lower rungs of the ladder, if you will, in your company, you know, are you giving them and tell, teaching them about financial literacy on, on how to invest that money and, and do for themselves and also with your mentorship programs? You know, I heard you talk about young men. But what about, you know, young black women? You know, young black women and girls are going to jail at the same rates, if not more, than young black men and boys. And so, again, you know, trying to balance the scales of what's happening as far as, you know, capitalism is concerned, black people in general are being cheated out of, you know, gains that we've made over generations. What's the state of the economy in black America now is worse than what it was during the depression, and and it, right. you know we need to explain but, why. Right, and that's the point I'm trying to make is that, and I, and I understand where, and I understand what the points you're bringing up, and that many of them are true, and I agree with it. But the point I'm trying to emphasize is, yes, you know, over the past there's been a lot of injustices done, people have been screwed. You can talk about, for example, the GI Bill and during World War II and how that was totally exactly. rigged and how a lot of black men were so. I, I understand those points, and I agree with that. 
But my, but what I'm trying to stress is that I, I try to focus on the present and the future. Why do I mean by that? Is my mentality, and this is something I learned from, this is something my parents taught me, which is it's never about the cards that you dealt, it's how you deal with them. So my focus is how can we try to better where we're at now and in the future with the focus being not only on our own lives but the lives of our children and our grandchildren. And so that's why I try to focus on the changing of your mentality because the mentality well, now has got to become than, one it's of... It's more than just the changing of mentality because you hit on it initially when you called in when you were talking about policy and laws. And there are policies and laws that need to be, you know, stricken from the record, some that need to be overturned, modified, and created in order to level the playing field because, again, systemic and institutionalized racism is there, and it's been there, and it is written into the laws, into the very fabric of what and who America is. And it will always be there. And the system is designed for white people to always come out ahead. And they've had a 400-year yeah, head start. But, but most you white people, though, are, are a not. Lot of white, but who said all white people? Yeah, but, mo- but most. See, that's one of the arguments. Yeah, but most white people have. are struggling. Like when we talk about that's not necessarily true. Yeah, I've, 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 I've traveled around the country, right? Now. I've seen, especially in certain parts of the country, there's a lot of white people that are struggling. And it's because... They also lack knowledge as well. There's many white people in this country that are completely ignorant to how to make money in America. Many of them. That's why a lot of them are living check to check. And even though they may have the perception that they're middle class, financially they're horrible. I mean, because their credit's out of whack, they're, they're in massive debt, they have no idea how to manage their money, they're living beyond, their, 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 like they're living beyond what they but can again, afford. This, this is a problem this, I see across the beyond. country. This goes beyond knowing how to manage $100 in your checking account. And what's interesting is oh, about what matter. you said about white people, uh, what's interesting about what you just said about white people that are struggling and that don't understand money, that's one of the shames of being as what they call poor white trash, which is why you have these elitist whites looking down upon a certain group of white people because they can't understand how you're broken white and how you're struggling in your white and why you're not enjoying wealth in your life, especially with a lot of these so-called giveaway plans that has been given to white people, you know, homesteading. You brought up the GI Bill. Yeah, but you have to look at history. programs that came under FDR, under the New Deal, were geared toward white people specifically. Exactly. And that's their right to do, number one, because at the end of the day, people look out for their own interests, Right. White people have no obligation no. to look out for us or any other ethnic group. So that's what we have to understand. So my mindset is but when it comes to history. Is, is that, what, but it's not about white people, this white person liking you or that white person looking out for you. It's about the law. It's about the policies. I understand. I understand place. about the law. Right. And, again, with the policies I, that I are in that. place have been in place for centuries, and they, have, they are yeah, not but there's there also, to encourage growth. Go ahead. Yeah, but. Okay, and this is why this is why I reject many of the liberal economic policies because their economic policies lead to that, and they lead to cronyism and whatnot. But that's why I prefer the more conservative so economic minute, policies. So what you're conservative saying economic with, with Donald Trump and this tax free. scam that he just passed, this tax scam bill is not is not draped in cronyism. Is that what you're saying? Well, it's it's better than the alternative. That's why I always look at it as a lesser of two evils. No, because let's say the no, Democrats have got see, their way. If the Democrats had got their way, it would have got. Democrats, and you were talking about cronyism, 
you said it was a bad thing and it was going to be trouble. So I bring up the Republicans yeah, because... in the damn bill, and I talk about the cronyism in it, but it's better because people like you, you know, who are part of, I guess, you know, since you're, you're not white, I assume, but you're part of the political elite and part of the elite. Well, I'm not, and, I'm not, I'm not a part of any political elite is, at all. I'm not politically well, affiliated so that's, with that's anybody. That's why I said the elite. Well, the thing is, is that I feel as though there is a disconnect. And, you know, no, what, what I'm, I'm talking about as somebody who studies, I study economic policy and I weigh out pros and cons. The reason I said that the Republicans' uh, plan has less of a cronyism than would have said what Democrat is, because fundamentally liberals believe in a large federal government. And when you give the government more power over the economy, that allows these politicians to leverage that control and influence they have into crony capitalism. Because crony capitalism is based see, on special interests and lobbyists buying is, out politicians. The type of economics, with the type of economics that you know, you're perpetuating here, basically you're talking about smaller government, but you're also talking about taking government out of basically – um, base isolating, quarantining certain policies and laws, which will in place institute discrimination on a number of levels. And again, that's why I was asking you about your libertarian leaning, because you know, um, I'll give you an example. In Arizona, if the people that ran a diner saw you praying, they would give you a certain percentage discount on your bill because you were a praying, believing person, whereas somebody who's a non-believer that was there didn't even think about praying, had to pay the full price. That's discrimination. That's a libertarian's wet dream. Yeah, but that's, and that that's is what's not necessarily, in country, especially that's not yes, necessarily and that's discrimination in the sense that because, listen, man, at the end of the day, if you own your own business, let's say you have your own business, right? There's certain yes. part of it where you have the freedom to do with it how you want to do it because this, at the end of the day, we're trying to have a free country here. And so when you when you say, for example, I mean nothing, nothing in life is free. Nothing, absolutely nothing. We're not talking about. I'm not. I'm not not talking about free and how much something costs. I'm talking about the freedom. You know, I'm talking about the freedom to choose. Ma'am, ma'am, listen, ma'am. I'm talking about the freedom to choose what you want to do. For example, with your money. Freedom of choice in this country for people of color is a fallacy. It has never been about. Well, ma'am, listen. I'm 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 a black person. Yeah. Okay, ma'am. Okay. I'm a black, I'm a black man, uh-huh. and I, I have my really? money, and I have my business, and I'm able to choose what I want to do with it. Now, right, well, that's the choice I'm talking about in my business. So, for example, I don't like the but government I'm not talking, coming but in see, and imposing. What I'm talking about is not you and your business. What you do with your business and your money has nothing to do with me. I'm talking about the government, and I'm talking no, about that, the but it has something to do with the government. That's my point. That's... I'm I'm talking about. That's my point. Is the government. They care a lot about what I do with my money and how I utilize and it should. and what the amounts they, they should. No, they shouldn't. No, they shouldn't because, yes, they're, they should. listen, they're not the ones. You know, listen, I agree with paying taxes because taxes help yes. the general society. What I don't like exactly. is burdensome government regulation and overtaxation because my goal, I'm not working to pay the government. I don't want, I don't want my life's effort to be used to give money to somebody else who didn't help me. My uh, my point of well, working is to benefit is myself there, and my family always, and the people around me. There will always be people who are in need of help, which is why we have the and I help them. For example, I, I help a lot of people. But again, 
again, in regards to taxes that you have to in pay. In fact, I can say I help people more so than the, than the majority of people I, I, I meet. We all pay taxes. Right. And, you know, that's important. But in regards to the rest of your money, what you do with it, I don't see the government coming and telling you, well, you can't buy two extra books this month because you bought ten last month. They're not telling you to do with your own personal money. That's not what they're doing. But, you know, regarding you and your mentorship program and helping people that are disenfranchised and disadvantaged, I commend you on that. But in regards to the libertarian leanings and, and the smaller government and the way that you all are trying to go with this, I totally 100% disagree because you're going to end up hurting a lot more people in the long run. And so, you know, what's interesting about that conversation right there that we just had, and thank you, caller, I appreciate your calling. And what's interesting is, you know, when we start having conversations like that, and, you know, one thing that Shirley Chisholm said, she said, organize the rage. And so what you're seeing now, especially with the pinky and the brain administration, you see them, you know, hell is breaking loose because they see black and brown folks getting together. Black and brown folks are getting to meeting and starting to organize, you know, in, in, in protests, you know, in regards to liberation and moving beyond this. But, you know, again, that's a problem because, again, their focus is to contain and control. And when you get people like this, and, again, I commend, you know, any of the, you know, mentorship programs he has out there. But, again, that, again, that one young man that he talked about is the exception and not necessarily the rule. And these are the same arguments you'll get from people, oh, well, look at Oprah, Look at Michael Jordan. Look at Tiger Woods. Again, the same arguments. And, again, it goes back to people wanting to manage your lives, people wanting to tell you what you should and should not do, and, and black folks not knowing what's best for them. And who, who, who wants to be taxed to death? Not too many of us. I mean, I don't see very many people doing that. But um, what I will say that the caller mentioned about saving your money. Yeah, black and brown people, red, yellow, you all need to save your money because we're getting we're going to take a hit in the economy. And I know some of you are out there, well the economy, the stock market is doing well. Yes it is. The GDP is great. Well, yeah, it is. You know, but it's going to hit a wall. It's going to. If you go back and you study the economics and the trends, you know, that happen in this country. You know, we're in, we're about to pay the price. And what's interesting is, you know, even though there are some working class and poor white people who are, you know, being hit pretty hard, and as the young man said, they don't know how to manage their money, and, you know, they have some of the same issues that other people have, we've never denied that. I've never denied that there are white people who are poor. I've never denied that there are white people who are disadvantaged and disenfranchised, which is why I refer to working class and poor whites often, because I don't forget them, you know, and I don't forget the fact that, you know, some of them are suffering as much as we are, but it's very few, but it's some of them are. And so at the end of the day, when the shit hits the fan, it's going to be black and brown people who pay the highest price. 
And that's what I was talking about with the accumulated wealth that black and brown people had, you know, earned and stacked over the years, how it was all snatched away. And that is what we're dealing with now. And so, you know, there are a number of things that, you know, I want to cover. We're down to the last 40 minutes. I may make the 40. I may not make the 40. But before I move on, I definitely have to acknowledge Fire and Fury, the book. I don't know if you all have been reading this, but it's been interesting. And my conclusion is Trump banning these white supremacists, you know, you all deserve each other. And so it's going to be interesting watching all this happen because, again, you know, lacking political power. And see, this is the thing. I also, you know, I want black and brown, red and yellow people and poor whites to think about this. When these politicians speak to you individually, you know, they basically one of the Jedi mind tricks that they play is telling you that you do not have necessarily enough people or power behind you to make these changes. Collectively, we can, and we've shown it yet once again with the election of Doug Jones in Alabama. And we need to get together to force change. There are enough of us getting together. We can make some real change in this country. And, you know, one of the reasons why you know that they're scared of that is, again, they're trying to crush protesters in this country. They're trying to discourage. They're trying to make an example out of people, Colin Kaepernick being one of the people, you know. And then you have a lot of lying white people running around, again, playing Jedi mind tricks on folks and basically telling them that you must do as you're told. If not, you will pay a price. And there's always a price to pay, which is what I was trying to, you know, uh, express a little earlier. Um, Just pay attention. Look at what, you know, Trump is doing and saying. You know, every time he's on the news and he has a chance to get to the microphone, he's saying no collusion, no collusion, no collusion. And it's a Jedi mind trick. And he feels that if he says it enough times, it will convince you, because he's already convinced himself he's a pathological liar. And he has no principles. He stands for anything. Whoever the last person was that talked to him or got to him before he gets to the microphone, he goes with that opinion. The guy is just clueless. And this is who you voted into office. You know, white evangelicals, are you proud? Are you proud of your choices? And so, you know, again, you know, I want to stress, you know, when I talk about capitalism or anti-capitalism, is more along the lines of racialized capitalism because in regards to racialized capitalism is directly tied to racism. And, again, we've talked endlessly about the wealth inequality gap and how it's being widened and how more and more people are falling through the cracks and how this is being done on purpose. This is not a mistake. It's not a coincidence. And then you have, you know, different people such as the libertarians and some of these Republicans that will sit here and tell you that there is no such thing as a wealth inequality gap, that there is no such thing as that, and that people have what they have because they earned it I mean, I've talked about certain people like Sam Harris that, 
you know, that in many other libertarians in these different communities, white libertarians specifically, who believe, again, you know, without necessarily saying it this way, but they believe of a master race. They believe that some people are more intelligent than others. I mean, next time you're around, I'm asking them to fill on your brain, you know, maybe they believe in phrenology. But it's important that you understand. And the libertarian and the libertarian politics have infiltrated a number of communities, a number of organizations, and, you know, we're seeing it. And especially for the black and brown people that are buying into it, you're being fooled. And you're, you know, you're buying into white supremacy. But again, as I stated earlier, you don't have to be white to be a white supremacist. You know, this is why we see all this faux-tough, no-tough shit going on. And oh, yeah, I have to acknowledge the Tariq Nasheed versus Umar shit. That shit is hilarious. And that's about all the time that's going to get from me. But, um, you know, again, I talk about black nationalists. And when I talk about black nationalists in the negative sense, I'm talking about like the Umars and the Tariqs. I'm talking about those people in that particular mindset specifically. Because, again, they're nothing but black supremacists, I mean, white supremacists and black face. And when I talk about black nationalism that's positive and is productive, it's more along the lines of pan Africanism. So I, you know, um, you know, I try to make the distinction between the two, and I think I explained it a little bit on the last show, but I just wanted to kind of hit up on it again today because pan-Africanism is much different than the black nationalist um, platform that Umar, Tariq, and all of those guys are standing on. That's nothing but trouble. You know, again, it's patriarchy, <laughs> it's sexism or misogyny, and a number of other things that are just the cornerstones that they have in common, which is why they've built such a great relationship with these libertarians out here and why they have so much in common. So go out and look up the alt-right and the black nationalist bromance and, and their alliance because it's happened, and it's happening now. As a matter of fact, a lot of those particular black nationalists they supported Trump. And for those of you that are out there laughing, you know, about, you know, the concept of these faux-tep, no-tep black nationalists working alongside, you know, with Donald Trump, you need to be checking your pastors and your ministers because that libertarian mindset and the libertarian tenets have made its way to the black pulpit. And it's been there for years. But nobody wants to talk about that. So you need to really go and study up on what's happening and how it's affecting you and impacting you directly. Because you go and you sit up under these ministers, you sit in a church or you watch them on television or online, however you're doing it. And what they're doing to you is they're preaching capitalism. You know, they're, they're preaching hypermasculinity, they're preaching libertarianism, they're preaching a lot of negative things. And at the end of the day, many of them will tell you, I have mine, now you go get yours. How are you going to do that? And again, you know, if you're poor and your needs haven't been met, well, you know, you don't have enough faith. 
and many other excuses that they put on the line. Or you haven't been working hard enough. Or you haven't been disciplined enough, as the young man said earlier. You need to pay attention, and you need to pay attention to what they're saying. There are key words. There are triggers. There is all of that, which is why after speaking with someone for a few minutes, I'm able to kind of pick up where they're coming from. And I need for you guys to start understanding that as well. So anyway, going back to peeking in the brain, you know, and and what's happening here, you know, white men and white women are sticking together. And that's, you know, happening globally. But, again, here in America, 53% of white women voted for Donald Trump, but yet they want us to, women of color, to defend them to march with them, to help them to to increase their numbers and increase their, um, you know, their image and increase their, you know, uh, their visuals as far as, like, having the numbers and having the message and having the people and being a political and economic force. But yet they still went and voted for someone who made it very clear that he's a sexist, he's a misogynist, he hates women. I don't know what happened between him and his mom. If you notice, he never really talks about her. But what's so interesting is something that we've seen most recently that's extremely dangerous, and seeing these white men and women, but specifically a lot of white men defending folks like Roy Moore, Woody Allen, Al Franken, and Jerry Sandusky, that's interesting because um, Raina called me up and she sent me these articles written by, again, some white libertarians defending Jerry Sandusky. So you defended Roy Moore, a pedophile, allegedly, and Jerry Sandusky, a pedophile, you know, pedophile allegedly, right? So when Raina and I discussed it, you know, I was talking about Jerry Sandusky and the little boys, and I was like, hmm, I'm surprised that they're defending him. And Raina corrected me, and she was correct. She said, you know, it more than likely was a crime of convenience regarding Jerry Sandusky in combination with, you know, the homophobia and all of that, but, you know, she brought up a crime of convenience. And you have that too. So, you know, what I love about Raina is she is one of the most challenging friends that I've ever had. You know, she forces me to think out the box. She forces me to rethink some things that, you know, I've said I've learned from her and she's learned from me. And, you know, there are a few more people that I can say that of. And what's disappointing is there were a couple of people that I thought I would learn from and the only thing that I learned was smoking mirrors, faking fraud, you know, get in where you fit in, performative blackness, performative this, this that, and the other. You know, it was really disappointing, but I'm not surprised. So anyway, um, you know, you see these people out here, especially a lot of these white libertarian men, defending folks like Jerry Sandusky and Roy Moore, 
And again, it's about centering that white male privilege. Again, it's about centering white men, especially if they're heterosexual, especially if they're educated, particularly well-educated, you know, wealthy, of course, you know, and, and, you know, again, white man nucleus. This is this is what Donald Trump and Steve Bannon represent, not only in this country but globally. I mean, you know, the shit they're dealing with up there in Canada and France, you know, trust me, you know, the, the American media may not talk about it, and in some cases they speak about these people glowingly. But go behind that image. You know, go behind and see what happened in France when and when they tried to have a feminist conference, um, you know, specifically talking about women of color and how they tried to shut that down. And just go behind the politics of some of these white men that have been heralded into power. And what's happening in America is this is, you know, in my opinion, the white man's last hurrah. And they're trying to keep it white male-centered. And you'll see that in a number of these communities, which is why you're getting the pushback. And so, again, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at people trying to spin this shit, and there's no way to spend it, spin it, and there's no way to defend it. It's just it is what it is. You have people out here defending Al Franken, and I'm one of the people who believes that he needed to go. He needs to go. And one of the things that sickened me the most besides just the general bullshit he was doing and making these women feel and how he was making them feel and what he was doing, but when that woman was asleep and vulnerable, you know, we only saw one or two pictures. Imagine what we didn't see. You know, and see, the thing is, is I've seen little boys do that to little girls, and, you know, they laugh about it, and they think it's funny. It's not funny, whether it's a little girl or a grown woman. You do not take advantage of anybody in a vulnerable state like that. So Al Franken gets no sympathy from me. And it's just a bunch of shit that's been going on, and I'm just saying it, you know, and reading it and watching it. And, um, you know, as a country, we can do better. We definitely can do better, and we need to do better because they are not going down without a fight, and we need to understand what we're dealing with because, again, you know, this shit recycles. Like I said, different year, different name, but same old bullshit. You know, we need to understand that. So, yeah, go out um, and read that poem by Rudyard Kipling. And, you know, it kind of gives you a little insight to the mindset of some of these people. doesn't give you all the answers, but if it gets you closer to a general understanding, then... You know, I guess that's all that really matters. But, um, yeah, 
You know, the way that it's looking now in this country just seems like it's just a matter of time before hell breaks loose. Because 2017 was like a whirlwind. You know, I know me and a number of people that I talk with, we were just fucking tired. They wore us out, and they did that on purpose. And something tells me 2018 is going to be the same way. You know, in that book, Fire and Fury, you know, he talks about how Trump likes to operate in chaos. He likes the chaos. He likes the drama. He likes all of those things. So, again, it's being done deliberately, and we've been telling you all that since day one. Now, I can only imagine what's coming at us, but you also need to pay attention to the number of people that are resigning from, you know, the administration. Regarding Steve Bannon and his apology, that's not a real apology, and he'll be right back where he needs to be, you know, on his throne of white supremacy, and basically he'll still he'll still get away with what he's doing, and for the ones out there that are laughing because the Mercers distanced themselves, the Mercers started distancing themselves from um, Steve Bannon months ago. That is not a new development. And the only reason why they made a public statement is because it was widely known and reported that they were, you know, basically bankrolling him. And so he gave his little fake apology and, He's going to probably send Donald Trump a gift certificate for some Big Macs, and they'll be friends again. But, um, <laughs> you know, just I want you to read. I want you to understand what's happening. I want you to understand and to pay attention how a lot of this rhetoric has infiltrated your communities and infiltrated people around you. Because what's so interesting is when I talk to some black men, especially some of the ones who consider themselves black nationalists. Now, they may not be full no-tep. They may only be part no-tep, but they get that part of the doctrine, whereas, you know, the patriarchy and the sexism and the misogyny. And you pay attention because they're in your pulpits. You know, they're in your classrooms. They're teaching your children you know, they're the ones sitting on, you know, at the park, you know, having these conversations with one another, at the barber shop, having these conversations. You can't escape it and you can't outrun it. It's infiltrating these communities more and more. So I just need you guys to keep paying attention, pay better attention, and, you know, with this pinky and the brain administration, Trump is always talking about Mitt Romney. And he's threatened by Mitt Romney, which is interesting, you know, but he's always talking about Mitt Romney being choked like a dog. Now, I have something else to say about that, but, you know, I guess I would like to ask Donald Trump, then, what, what did you think about Eric Garner and what happened to him? I guess that would be politically incorrect to ask these questions, right? So, yeah, you know, pay attention. Pay attention. You've got a lot of folks out here feigning poverty. And when I say that, I'm talking about um, some of these organizations out here 
that constantly, constantly do fundraising all year round. They always need money for something, and they're always the first ones to ask you to do something for free. Don't fall for it. They got plenty of money. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm just laughing at the shit. I'm just laughing at it. And also, I want to make sure that you all remember um, about the elections coming up this year in 2018. You have people trying to move seats. You got Democrats who thinks it's going to be a bloodbath and they're going to regain control of the House and or Senate or both, whatever. Um, One thing, because, you know, we talk about school-to-prison pipelines. We talked about, you know, no money bill. and You know, there was a big fundraising effort for that over the past couple of months, and it was very important. And you have different people out here that are collecting funds to help bail people out of jail because you may be arrested on a minor charge, but because it takes so long for you to get before the judge to get the situation rectified, you may have lost your job, your home, your car, everything that you own. So you have people out here that are going out to try to help the community. And, oh, yeah, our conference is going to be on March 5th up at Northeastern Illinois University. I have to get more information. We're finishing it up. But it's about... Um, you know, again, incarceration, about students being incarcerated, school-to-prison pipeline, and incarceration. One thing that I do want to talk about, and we've talked about this over the years, but um, felons that have lost their right to vote. And I've talked about how you can get your record expunged or sealed, and there should be more attorneys out here helping these folks so that they can regain their right to vote. And also, I feel that in regards to people that have been incarcerated on drug charges, and I believe there's something else, but I know drug charges, how they are not able to get financial aid to go back to school. And that's one of the laws that needs to be changed as well. We need to look at that because what's happening is you're totally disenfranchising a whole segment of people. You know, um, and I read these stories about people who are, quote, unquote, rehabilitated in jail and come out with their education. But why do you have to go to jail to get an education? If you, you know, made a mistake or something happened and you were incarcerated, drugs or otherwise, and you're released from jail and you've, quote, unquote, done your time, then you should be afforded the same liberties and opportunities as everyone else. So these are things that definitely need to be addressed, especially when it comes to black and brown people permanently losing their right to vote, permanently losing their right financial aid to go back to school and other privileges that are stolen from them. So um, there was an article that was out and it's talking about California offering a second chance to people convicted of marijuana crimes. And Specifically with the marijuana crimes, you know, Jeff Sessions is trying to make marijuana, you know, basically the federal government to go in and and prosecute people with crimes regarding marijuana. And, you know, what's interesting about it is you see these states that are allowing marijuana, legalizing marijuana, and the vendors and the 
in the in the dispensaries are owned by primarily white men. So while you have a lot of black and brown people languishing in prison because they sold or used marijuana, now that they've changed some of the laws, white men are profiting and capitalizing off of marijuana. And it's important that you guys understand that and understand the implications of that. And if you really want to get a better understanding, go back and do some research into history and read up about marijuana and jazz music. And, you know, that should open a few of your eyes, you know, as to where some of this persecution, where it comes from. And also, I want you guys to pay attention to what's happening with Ben Carson and HUD and what's happening with, you know, segregation and, you know, what's happening with HUD and how Ben Carson is allowing resegregation to, and I won't say resegregation to take place, but some of the policies and laws that are in place, he's kind of tabling them and enabling folks to, let's just say, make some really bad decision in regards to housing and affordable housing and neighborhoods and, and you know, uh, buildings that have people of all socioeconomic statuses, you know, living in these buildings. Go and look and pay attention. Pay attention to, you know, you'll have these, you know, white citizens, voters, what have you, that will get together collectively and make their way to city hall or the town hall or what have you to protest allowing people of, you know, a lower economic social status moving into their neighborhoods. They don't want you in their neighborhoods. You know, I think I posted, and I didn't post the article. I haven't been posting anything lately. But there was an article out there specifically talking about um, white people, you know, they believe in public school, in public schools, unless there are a lot of black and brown people in their community. And so it talks about how public schools are great and how they advocate for them just as long as there are not too many black and brown students there. So you need to pay attention to what's happening. That Go out there and see what Uncle Ben is doing and, uh, <laughs> and, and what's happening. You know, here in Chicago, um, there's an article called How Chicago's Supposed to Desegregate when, develop, when Developments with Affordable Housing is being built, you know, and basically um, they're being built in wealthy neighborhoods and the wealthy people do not want certain folks in there because when they started tearing down some of the housing projects here in Chicago, they gave the people Section 8 vouchers or basically put them in other places. So what happens is when they build these new skyscrapers and, and wealthy developments, not only in Chicago, but New York and all in a number of other places, they take some of those people, they have to take a percentage of those people that were displaced and put them in these buildings, right? And so, you know, these well-heeled, moneyed people are not trying to have it. It was a building in New York specifically. They were trying to have a special door for the poor people to go in so folks will not know that poor folks lived in that building. Again, 
And this is being, again, um, supported by Donald Trump and the other folks. Okay, here's the article about Ben Carson. So it says, Ben Carson to allow segregation to continue unchecked until 2020. So the article is, oh, man, it's in New York Times, and I'm trying not to send people to them because of their little bromance with the white supremacists alt-right. But anyway, this talks about how HUD will suspend until 2020 a requirement that communities analyze their housing segregation and and submit plans to reverse it, you know, and – Again, it's another another article it's on NPR. Decades-old housing discrimination case plagues Donald Trump. You know, Donald Trump and his dad both get in trouble for that. Another one is no vacancies for blacks, you know, and, again, it's about Donald Trump and his dad. And, you know, this has been happening over and over. It's not just Donald Trump. I'm not just picking on him. You know, there are a number of you know, large developers out there that have, you know, that have had this particular issue, you know, discriminating against, you know, black and brown folks, and in some cases, poor whites. So, again, educate yourself, go out there and do some reading, and, you know, you got these folks out here that are trying to push Biden and Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris, and Cory Booker, and I can tell you right now, I don't like none of them folks, you know, and these are not folks that are going to redeem the great name of the Democratic Party. There is no redemption for the bullshit that they've pulled, and they continue the poll, and, you know, again, pulling the wool over your eyes. Again, pay attention, pay attention. And pay attention. And so for those of you who are like, Kim, you know, you disappear on us and la, la, la. Sometimes I have to do that just to kind of pull it back together. And then also don't forget I'm in school. So, you know, fighting with the voice software dragon to get my papers right and all of that. So it's been a lot of stuff going on in my life and some more, you know, imminent changes that are going to be taking place. But I'm doing all right. Thanks for asking. Um, Yes, I am laughing about Fire and Fury. And, yes, I am reading it. And, um, but, you know, again, you know, Donald Trump, you know, something's wrong with that dude. And I've been saying that for a while. But what's funny to me is when he realizes that he's being handled and contained, he goes absolutely berserk. So, I mean, I'm going to try to go into this new year with a new attitude. So when we see him pulling publicity stunts like walking out if any of the, you know, athletes kneel or refuse to stand for the pledge or any of that, you know, again, it's a diversion tactic. You know, and I've said before, Donald Trump is not stupid. He's ignorant, but he is not stupid. And so... We have to stop playing into it. It's the media. I have a real issue with American media and what's happening now. They're also bearing the story that Donald Trump is asking for $18 million for his walls, and then he'll do something with DACA, 
you know, and for, you know, the Latinx folks that are out there, you know, especially the white-identified ones, my question is, are you sure? Are you sure you're still holding on to that narrative? You know, so, and while some folks may think that, you know, I'm being mean when I say shit like that, I'm not being mean. I just want you to think about some shit, you know. And, again, I'll remind you, there's a mass murder in America every day, but barely no news coverage for the most part unless it's just totally egregious, you know. And I'm I'm not sure if you all know about the guy that was um, trying to plan a terror attack on Amtrak. You know, he attended the Charlottesville parades for, for um Pinky in the brain. But you're not hearing much about that. Go, it's on Newsweek. M-Track terror suspect also attended alt-right event in Charlottesville. All of that. Go and read it all. You know. So everybody 